Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Bienvenue, guten Tag, willkommen. Wherever you are, we're delighted to see you. We're delighted that you're listening to us, maybe on the podcast later. But right now, we are live. And who are we? Well, Marcus Fent. Marcus Fent, CEO and uh, CSO uh, of uh, the Mobility House. He's been there for 12 years. This is a, an amazing period of time for anybody, but certainly in the world of electrification, so much has changed. So we're going to draw on that knowledge and experience, uh, Marcus. Well, I'm going to give you a good grilling. How does that sound? <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all, Roger. Pleasure to, to be here and to add to your welcome, Servus from Bavaria. Very good, very good. So we've got our 60-minute regular monthly conversation. I'm so excited to be talking to you. I've I've known you and what your business has done for a while. So I'm thrilled to be sharing that with everybody tuning in. So what are we going to be talking about? Commercial fleet electrification. But here's the thing. Let's talk about practice, not theory. Uh, you will hear a lot of events, whether you go to them live, whether you tune into them on the internet, whatever, where people are talking hypothetically, what might happen, what could happen, what should happen. But what's, I think, particularly useful to draw from someone like Marcus is what has been happening and what is happening now. So we're going to focus uh, uh, quite a bit on that. Um, but before we do, Marcus, can I just jump into some results that literally just come in? It was a LinkedIn question we put out there for fleet managers. So I know you don't know this result, so I'm, I'm keen to hear what you think in, as like immediate reaction. We said fleet managers, what's your key challenge regarding fleet electrification and the grid connection? And we gave them four choices. Um, so I'll do it in order of, of how people responded. So 12% said low energy efficiency is definitely their key challenge. Uh, next up was li limited knowledge. So this is ideal because you're going to share your knowledge. So we can definitely help 23% um, of the respondents. Next was high cost, which was a touch over a quarter, 26%. But the majority were uncertain about you know grid limitations, grid connections, or, or all of that arena. Um, so yeah, that's that's definitely where, where we were. But again, let's just reflect on the journey you and I have been sharing, and, and many others. But of course, most people haven't. Um, you know, if you look even as recently as 2016, there are only a million EVs on on the road. You know, globally, there's nearly 20 million of those, according to I think it was Bloomberg. I got that number from. Um, but significantly, the commercial fleets now are absolutely piling in on this. I'm sure you're going to share some of that with, with us. People like Amazon, people like UPS, DHL, FedEx, um, Uber, Lyft, you know, th th they're all at it. Um, and th the global charging market definitely is just exponentially growing because it has to, because, of course, it's, you know, hand in hand with the growth in the volume. So, so that's what we're seeing. But... Can I jump straight in? Because the thing I like about your LinkedIn page, by the way, I always look at people's LinkedIn page first um, to get any gist of anyone. But I like your line that says unlocking the value of electric vehicle batteries. Have you put that up recently or is that what you've had there for some time, Marcus? 
Actually, that's our, our mission from the very beginning on unlocking the value of batteries. Um, and where do you get the, the cheapest and the vast majority of batteries from? Electric vehicles. Uh, back mm. in 2009, this wasn't clear for everybody. But I think now um, it's easy to grasp and to project for the future that this line is true. Yeah. So, okay. So let's start with that then as a kind of talking point, a question. If we look at that that battery as an asset, you know, very much so rather than a problem, a liability, all, all the things you do hear people say, let's look at the battery as an asset. How can commercial fleets benefit from that? You know, what evidence is there so far that that's the case? Could, could you give us a little flavor of that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, that a battery or storage is an asset, I think, is unfortunately so clear currently to us as it never was. Um, we see the volatility in the energy market in power and gas prices currently due to the Ukraine incident. And this volatility is now driven by an external factor. But another external factor um, is also driving subsequently that volatility, which is climate change. And for climate change, we have to shift our energy system to renewable energy. And that means a lot of more wind and solar as we as we have today. That brings a lot of volatility to the system. And storage is the solution or one of the key solutions for that volatility. And that storage actually comes with electric vehicles. And who is bringing first electric vehicles? Um, fleet operators. Because they see the TCOs first, and they are looking for the cheapest fleets to, 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 to run, and therefore fleet operators face that first, and, and they also will face first um, the, the possibilities they can gain out of a battery charging at the right time, and later on, and we will for sure dig deeper into it, also discharging at the right time. Mm -hmm. Right, okay, um, by the way, uh, anybody listening, you are going to be warmly welcomed if you want to ask a question. Uh, we might even, if I can manage to fiddle about with the text successfully, invite you up onto the stage so you can actually ask it on screen in person if you feel inclined to do that. Um, I see uh, Mardi has joined us from Dubai. So hello, Mardi. I'm, I'm, I love it when people look at this lovely message. Super excited to hear about electrification uh, fr from you. Well, well, we're super excited to be sharing that with you. Um, but let can I just ask you a favor, um, Marcus? Can we try and balance what we're talking about here and not overuse too much jargon? Because I know when I started out with electric vehicles, um, I would hear people say all sorts of words and phrases, and I, I pretend to know what they were talking about, but <laughs> I didn't have a clue. Um, so there's two things I want to talk about now for the next five or 10 minutes. Um, any questions that pop up, I'm gonna try and bring them on stage, as I mentioned. But, but can you just give me this definition of the term behind the meter and then the other one in front of the meter? What, what does that actually mean? Oh, uh, thanks for um, <laughs> um, bringing it back to a normal language. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> important. Um, sorry, because we are so much into the energy topic, it's, it's so clear for us. Yeah. Behind the meter means in the fleet managers, in your own responsibilities. Though there, more or less, you can do whatever you want as long as you stay in, in the parameters of your contract, meaning your power and energy contract. In front of the meter, you have to engage somehow, and then certainly software it comes into the game 
with the energy system. Mm -hmm. So behind the meter, you can save costs. And in front of the meter, you can not only save costs, but also earn revenues. Right, right. And then in front of the meter, what's that bit? So that, that means you are in the, the parameters of the energy market. So you right. leave your grid connection, you are going to a local grid connection to a, uh, the grid operators um, parameters or into the energy market being a, just an, a different energy tariff or even an energy stock exchange. Okay, okay. Thank, th thank you for that. So given I suppose at any time we've got, you know, market fluctuation in terms of the cost of energy. And I guess for a lot of businesses, especially if you're running a large fleet of vehicles, whether it's fossil fuel cost or whether it's, you know, electric vehicles or, or, or some other form gas, you know, um, wh whatever it might be, um, it, it's on everybody's mind. It's a big cost. You know, it, it's something that people want to try and predict. They want to try and manage and control. And oh boy, has that got difficult of late. But can you give us some experience and advice on, you know, how, how can organizations sort of optimize their charging setup then to, to minimize the, the charging costs a day? That's, that's that behind the meter bit you, you mentioned. What can they actually do to, 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 to try and do that then? Yeah, um, let me not focus only on on energy. Um, and let's come back to that in in a in a minute. But okay. as a fleet operator, and as we say, we want to be as concrete and helpful um, about uh, kind of the lessons learned of e-mobility. You actually start with planning. Uh, so e-mobility is not something you can neglect anymore. So. Um, it's clear that it's not just one test vehicle. It's clear your fleet will, by a certain period, being it five years, 10 years, or 15 years, 100% electrified. So rather do some planning up front and think bold um, and think to the end and not just do something for one, two, three, or 10 weeks. So this is hmm. uh, one important thing because otherwise you have to redo things. So it's a topic you need to scale. So take care about things you can scale. scale. Don't buy cheap stuff you can scale later on. Don't buy, don't limit yourself. Don't buy into closed systems, for example. So hmm. this is the, the first lessons learned um, plan. Second, where you already can save um, a lot of money without doing anything except um, looking into the web is to try to figure out subsidies. There are a, sub a lot of subsidies out to support your fleet electrification in most of the countries. So that's the easiest saving you can get, actually. Then uh, there is the whole infrastructure topic. Um, you have to build up chargers. You have to um, kind of do the, the installation work, digging. If you have, for example, a parking space at, at a logistic depot um, outside, it, you can dig for the first, let's say, 30 chargers, um, 60 meters. Um, um, or you can say, most probably, if I have the, the caterpillar here anyhow, and I have to electrify for 100%, Let's do it already all 100 meters or 200 meters because it's there already and put a conduit in and use it later. Hmm. So there's a lot of efficiency already in the installation you can do. If, if you build a switchboard, build it in that size, you would like to have it 
for the longer term, because otherwise the electrician has to come again or the room has to be extended again. So you have to think a little bit ahead. If you buy a charger, buy a charger with a, a smart interface or a standard interface. Don't look for the cheapest stuff um, you can get because otherwise we have a lot of customers um, they realized oh, in two or three years, they need to control their chargers. Mm. We're coming closer to the energy side because the grid connection get limited. You need to some kind of charging and energy management to control your load. Oops, that charger is not eligible <laughs> to do that because it's not talking in, 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 in kind of a, a, a standard protocol. Mm. So mm. these are the, the things um, you you have to do um, and, and you should do already upfront before we come to your um, initial question, um, how can I save on energy? And certainly a, perhaps the first three charger, you do not need to care because your grid connection might be enough, perhaps even 10 chargers. But then latest, you have two possibilities. Either you invest in copper, groundworks, and you know, more or less, uh, dig your money into the ground or you invest in silicon and implement some kind of charging and energy management system to avoid first grid extensions and second demand charges because what is happening most most probably um, for um, many of those fleets they either come like the Irish Post we equipped all over um, their depots they come back at 2.30 in the afternoon they have an immediate charging peak, mm, mm. but you can stretch that peak until six o'clock the next morning because um, so you avoid these demand charges Even right. in a workplace charging that all the employees come between 7.30 and 9.30. Uh, if you have a marketing, bigger marketing department, perhaps 10.30. So, um, but they all sit there until 10.30 at night or 8.30 or 7.30. So you can stretch charging and save a lot of money there with silicon and not digging copper into the ground. Right. You've covered a lot of ground there. Um, by the way, Michael McInerney, one of our guests, says, good point about the charger spec. We find this all the time with clients. Now, what I was thinking listening to you going through all that was, well, hang on, if I'm, if I'm a fleet operator at the moment, fleet manager or, or anything like that, um, all that you've said is born out of 12 years experience and, and whatever you, you know, the stuff you did before. But, but how do I know to ask those questions? This may be a silly question to ask you because I guess this is what the mobility house do, but where does someone go to get this advice so they don't buy the wrong spec, you know, in seller? They, they do perhaps try and even coordinate some of the groundworks with maybe a neighbor, you know, a neighboring operation. I, I don't know. It, it, is that the kind of stuff then that you do? And, and of course, there'll be other people, not just Mobility House, but is that what you offer? Is that the sort of thing you can start to help people with? So Mobility House has three pillars. In Germany, Austria and Switzerland, we do exactly that for right. all different kinds of customers, being it private customer, being it commercial customers or also resellers. We work together with partners there and sold more than 110 and, and installed charging stations. Um, we equipped more than a thousand fleet customers or commercial customers all over Germany and also in Switzerland. The second pillar is that we have exactly that intelligent smart charging system, hardware neutral, um, very smart, clear focus to the energy market, saving costs today. But also what we mentioned in the very beginning, preparing already, how do we gain revenues for our customers in the future. 
Hmm. And the third part is a little bit R&D, where we then already show with stationary storage. And you might have heard some press releases about us putting um, second or even first life batteries somewhere in halls, soccer stadiums in the Amsterdam Arena, um, or in containers um, at, at Renault production sites, for example, where we already show to our audience and especially the government that you can earn money with batteries which are sitting around. Currently, mm. they are still without wheels, but soon, um, and you in the UK know that quite well, also um, our, our Dutch colleagues um, listening to that podcast all know Robin Berg with WeDrive Solar in Utrecht. Um, you will have that in vehicles, and then you can use your vehicle um, to create value in the energy market, and this makes driving much cheaper. Yeah. Well, listen, you're exemplifying this principle that the battery is an asset rather than a liability. Um, can you tell me Absolutely. a little bit more about the Amsterdam Arena then? So, so, so how much energy and what are those batteries? How did they get there and stuff? Can you give us a little kind of quick glimpse, two or three minutes of how that came about? Because, um, you know, ar arenas are, are weird, aren't they? Because they, 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 they're empty most of the time and then they have like tens of thousands of people in them and I guess huge demand on on from all sorts of things how did that job work then how, how did the amsterdam arena thing come about it was a really funny coincidence as often in life um we built the first um, stationary storages um, because we went to car manufacturers daimler and also others and said hey we want to have bi-directional cars can't you build one and then Daimler said, um, it's complicated. And they built one for us and <laughs> it didn't work very well. Um, and this was back in 2014. Um, but then suddenly they said, wow, you know what? I have um, kind of a test series of actually 3000 cars. Um, do you want to do something with the batteries? And we said, yes, um, give us the batteries. <laughs> we show you that they are worth something. And we placed them in Germany doing one special energy product. Um, and that's a very special one. You get a lot of money for that product, but it's a, it's a small market and a very special one. And by coincidence, the Amsterdam Arena, we met, we are, we are friends and they said, um, we need to equip the arena for WEFA 2020, which then uh, was shifted to 2021, uh, with additional diesel generators for backup power. And we say, oh, why don't you do that with batteries? Yeah. And um, they say, wow, yes, we could do that. And we say, you know what? Your diesel generators, they don't run at all if everything works fine. But you need to have them. You need to pay for them. And even if you have a diesel generator, they, they hardly bring power. So you just have a little bit of emergency light, emergency elevator, sprinklers, and stuff like this. Though so hmm. not that you can continue um, your, your, your show or your game. So we said, you know what? We want to do more with batteries than just that one product we can do in Germany. We bring batteries to the arena. You pay us for the backup power. And we do uh, the frequency stabilization um, uh, product and earn money hmm. when there is no game. When there is a game, we provide backup power and you pay us for that. And then we recognize, wow, you have shows. These shows need double the power than yeah. a, a normal soccer game. 
So we do peak shaving and they, they did not have to pay to, to the grid operator anymore the high peak prices because we do the peak shaving during those shows. Yeah. Third product. And then they said, hey, we have solar system. We don't use it on the weekend um, because then there's the office is empty. It's not such a big one, but, um, but there is a little one. We said, hey, great. We store it. Uh, we store the Sunday sun um, and release it on Monday morning for, for your offices. So we already had four products. We did in parallel with one battery and earning money in four cases. And this was uh, still a very nice use case, what you can do with batteries. And for us, it was important because we optimized our software algorithm to do all these four products in parallel. And that storage, um, we had a couple of storage which, which have not been profitable, but that storage was profitable from day one. Yeah. Wow. Again, so, so much in there. And I'm just thinking, well, hang on. Amsterdam Arena isn't unique. There are, there are thousands of arenas, or certainly hundreds of arenas uh, all over the world that will have the same kind of use case, the same um, requirement, deployment, etc. Et and I love something you just said. I loved it when you said, so we capture the Sunday sun and then we use it on the Monday. I love I love things like that. So th that's really good. And listen, you're getting lots of reaction now. Carl Anders, who I know from, from LinkedIn, uh, was saying, you know, this is Amsterdam was, you know, Nissan Europe batteries project. Um, there are a few people having a bit of a problem with sound, but I think they're okay now. Um, yeah, lots of people from all, all over the place. And by the way, as one of the message from the team has said, the, the, the team that help us put all this together, if you do miss any of this and you're frustrated, it is recorded as a podcast. We've recorded all three so far. So this is the fourth recording. So there's building up a nice library there, a really expert knowledge and experience as you're hearing from Marcus um, to help guide and shape your journey through um, where you go if you're just starting out with, with electric vehicles. And I would just like to make the point, um, we, Marcus and I were talking about it earlier, it, it's easy for people that have been in this game for a long time to talk about the jargon willy-nilly, to forget that people don't understand it and assume everybody's right up to speed. You're not. If you've only ever used diesel bands and trucks and done other stuff, this all sounds like voodoo. Um, so we are going to try our best to, to, to make it sound a little bit more, um, little bit more uh, realistic and understandable. So on that point, you will hear, my friend listening, um, a term V to G. That means vehicle to grid. You might also hear terms like V to H, vehicle to home. That's a bit trickier, to be honest. But can I just talk to you, Marcus, about vehicle to grid technology? Um, is that something that's actually happening now, really happening now at any kind of scale um, in this 12 years you've been in and around the mobility house? Um, I hear it mentioned a lot, but I'm, I'm not. Is, is it really taking place? What, 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 could, what can you tell us? It's taking by far too long. You're absolutely right. And especially us pros in that industry, hearing that phrase over and over again, um, more or less sometimes get impatient, annoyed or disappointed. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Okay, good. But, but um, it's like... Um, we, we forget it already, but um, being 10 years back or 12 years back, we said a couple of times we said EVs are coming. Now they are there. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So perhaps since 2016 or 15, we are saying V2G will come. Give it another couple of years, one, two, three, depending on the regulation um, speed in the different countries. And UK, Netherlands, and then Germany are the, the most leading ones on that, um, especially UK um, with, with, the, with the more active and fast market-driven regulation. It will come. Mm. Um, you will, Hyundai already has it more on a vehicle to load perspective. That means you get just 3.7 kilowatt out of the battery, but that's a beginning. Um, so that you can um, power some devices, power tools and stuff like this. Volkswagen will come with that very soon um, on the ID5 and then backwards compatible for a lot of vehicles of the MEV platform. So it will come. What is the big missing link on that? Certainly our understanding. Secondly, we need a regulatory framework mm. to utilize that um, asset because mm. currently these batteries, they, they are sitting around there. They are paid already. So they could be used to a renewable energy system mm. um, to a vast extent and could earn money only if the regulation is accordingly. Well, well, you know, you know, the fit for 55 uh, proposition from the EU that we have actually talked about in the past on, on this uh, on this meetup. Um, is there anything within that that's an enabling kind of piece of legislation or, 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 or support in any fashion? Or have they got some of this ambition, you know, missing out some of these crucial bits that, that you in the commercial world understand you know from the sharp end you're, you're you're at it you're not a bureaucrat a legislator or any of that stuff you know it, it, it's the commercial hands-on world connecting up with with the eu and other people um in your experience v very good point so um it, it is in the 55 fit for 55 program oh good um v2g or bidirectional charging um using this as a technology for a more flexible um, um, energy market using flexibility in the energy market is an important point as well as decentralized assets which would because this gives a much more resilient energy system um, is is a big part of it it's also part of um, the off-jam um, discussions currently in the UK. Mm -hmm. And it's also part of um, um, the current um, coalition uh, program in Germany, where they are working on a bidirectional charging law. Fortunately, the politicians are now discussing it. Um, it's a little bit you know, a new animal in the room because they do, do not know how to handle an energy supplier, um, which is driving around. That never happened in the past. Um, so we had the big shift from the 1970. There are around 100 power plants in Germany, um, more or less. Now we have 1.5 million because we have so many um, rooftop solar systems and um, windmills. And in the future, these will be 50 min million and also driving around. So mm -hmm. it's, it's quite a challenge for the regulator. Oh, oh um, it, it, and it also to mention one, one thing, because I saw it on the question, somebody said it's um, V2, V2X is only using Shadow at the present. Um, to update you on that, CCS standard 
1511 8-20 would be the professional ISO standard on that, was released six weeks ago into um, the state EFTES. So that means only kind of um, literal work is done there and you can buy it already for 450 euros. Um, so this bidirectional standard for CCS is out. Mm. So nothing else is missing anymore except scaling it, making it cheaper, making it um, large scale production and regulatory environment. Mm. Sorry to interrupt you, Rich. No, no, you, you, you weren't interrupting me, but, but you, what you did do is you slipped into that thing that we both, I guess we, we both do, and lots of people in our industry, you start talking about some of these things because uh, with, with CCS, Chadamo, et cetera, and, and there will be people thinking, what, what does that mean? Isn't it just a plug and a socket? Why are these different protocols? Why isn't it sort of simple? Um, and I don't want to dumb it down. I, I, no, I'm not going to do that. But but I, I just have some, I definitely have some sympathy with people coming in new to this because because I've been at it for one way or another nearly 20 years and I still I still get a bit confused. Um, but I tell you what, I'm going to stop answering asking my questions because I want to jump in on a few that, that are kind of in the chat, not in the Q&A, but we're not going to tell people off. But I'm going to challenge you to be as succinct uh, and quick as you can with the answers. Then we can get through uh, plenty of them. So this comes up a lot, and I think Theo will be Theo Vihar will be representing a number of people here. Um, if everyone embraces electric mobility, the strain on the grid will increase. Will overnight charging be the most optimal, or will charging a vehicle even be affordable? So that's you know that's a question a lot of people ask. What, what, how do you respond to that? Absolutely, because you have these um, synchronous factors um, and at the end, everybody needs in every country around 30 to maximum 50 kilometers a day charging. Um, the, by average consumption, we are talking between, let's say, roughly around 8 to 15 kilowatt hours. This is more or less nothing. Um, so um, this would be an hour um, with a, or, or let's say two hours with a normal household grid connection. So the, the system can cope easily with it. It's just a matter of distribution. So if everybody is doing it, this will not work. It's the same within your house. It's everybody, if everybody in, in, in a multi-unit dwelling is vacuum cleaning and cooking and washing, the fuse will blow. And there are these um, synchronous factors um, where, where you assume over the course of time that people don't do that. Hmm. And this for electric vehicles is slightly more compli complicated. So we have to make sure by a smart charging and energy management system, as we provided with the charge pilot, that not everybody in the multi-unit dwelling is doing it. And secondly, we need market signals. And now we come back to in front of the meter. Somebody has to tell us, like now, I, the sun is shining. There's a parking place with around 100 vehicles out there. They should charge now. Yeah. 15 minutes before, you rather stop them because the sun is not shining. So we need market signals um, to, to in integrate them. And if a grid operator at seven o'clock in the night or seven o'clock in the morning can't cope with a lot of vehicles, he should give us a signal and say, uh, I make it slightly more expensive if you want to charge now, 
I will put my car um, then off because I charged it at night uh, when the wind was blowing and I got the energy for free and the grid was not burdened at all because everybody was sleeping. Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to try something now. Um, I'm not bad at technology, but occasionally I get it wrong. Uh, we have a question. I was going to invite them up on stage. Let's see if I can do that. Show on stage. So, um, Mardi, if you if you want to join us, or, or please let me know, and I'd like to invite you to stage uh, onto stage to ask your question in person. Um, let's have it because you're asking a few good questions. So I'm going to invite you to the stage because you're clearly keen on what Marcus is sharing with us and, and it would be great if you can join us. So um, I've invited you to the stage. Uh, oh, sorry, user cannot be invited because you're on a mobile, it, it seems. Um, Mardi, sorry about that. See, I, I knew that would happen if I tried to be clever. Um, <laughs> but let, let me ask, uh, uh, but this is a really good question, I think, for Mardi. Similar thing to what you've just explained, but, you know, should we equip school buses, for example? Let, let's take a specific use case. Should, should we equip school buses with, with big batteries, as we do at the moment, um, that could then be used as part of this vehicle-to-grid network? Or, or should we put them in smaller batteries because they're only doing a, a specific duty cycle and we don't need them to do anymore? Um, and of course, there'll be other vehicles, other duty cycles and, and things. But let's take that specific question Marty asks, which is, you know, um, are, are we are we looking to have as many batteries as possible, regardless of the duty cycle, just so we can tap their energy and store it, I guess, is, is the question. Um, yes. Um, so greetings to the U.S. colleagues, because school bus is um, a very specific U.S. topic. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Um, yeah. In, in, in the Netherlands, you would have rather have the, how is it called, the, the Bakfitsi, where they uh, cycle the kids around. Um, in, in the U.S., they have a bus. Um, we all know these yellow school buses, and I always mention those as the best and first V2G example because they are driving three hours in the morning, max three hours in the afternoon, sitting around um, the rest of the time, three months during summer. So they are ideal battery on wheels. Right. Yet, for sure, we do not want to exploit resources just to have big batteries because we will have batteries all over. So we do not need, and at the end, there are not so many school buses in transportation, need to make those bigger. This will not be the big impact. The big impact is to connect all vehicles whenever they stand, at home, at work. Leave away mm -hmm. public, but at home and work. So during a sunny day or during the night to release it at our home or when there's a windy night um, or must-run um, production is ongoing, then let's connect the vehicles. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. despite school buses are great and California is doing a really good thing, they, they are the first state releasing um, a law that you can now connect the school bus and get paid in terms of emer emergency so you can drive somewhere with a school bus if you stabilize the grid there um, then you get paid quite well so this is a first regulatory example that you can earn money with that school bus in emergency mm. cases and that's actually also why v2g was was launched back in in um Early, early 2010 uh, with Fukushima, where the Japanese said, we want to have those vehicles as backup power. And therefore the Charimo standard, so the, the Japanese um, charging connector, um, was first in bi-directionality because due to Fukushima, they, they forced 
make all vehicles in Japan bidirectional. They yeah. should be a emergency power. That, that, that's a good example of necessity as mother of invention, isn't it? Um, w w without a doubt. I tell you something as, as well, by the way, looking at some of the great questions, they're all great questions because we're all pleased people are, are very much engaging with you. But you know, I said earlier, it might not be a technical audience and we should avoid using jargon. Well, here's a question from um, uh, Michael Zamola, which definitely says to me, these are not people who are new to the game. Uh, AC vehicle to grid would require onboard inverters to comply with grid codes. Are OEMs willing to do that? Do you have a thought on that? That's clearly a good technical question. So uh, how, how about that? Well, where are the OEMs in this whole vehicle to grid protocol and, you know, technology fit? Yeah, Michael, thanks for bringing that up because this is a really good point. Currently, the V2G is, um, is DC currently um, for most of the car manufacturers. Um, Vehicle to grid. I'm not talking about vehicle to load, but what I mentioned before, just um, supplying power tools like Hyundai or also the F-150 Lightning does. Um, but um, DC is quite more expensive um, because you need a, at least a small DC charging station cost you um, currently, we will release something by next year, two and a half thousand euros. It will go down to two and a half thousand years. And then um, if you compare it to an AC station, there is a, at least a thousand euros delta. Um, you don't want to have that. Why do car manufacturers do that? Because they are, they are delivering cars all over the world. And there are different grid codes from the grid operators all over the world. They differ slightly. So um, to start fast, they do DC because then they do not have to care about all the grid codes because the grid codes are um, the topic of the charging station, hmm. which would be a DC one and outside of the responsibility of the car manufacturers. Hmm. But others like Renault and a couple others are looking very deeply into AC also because it would be much cheaper for the customer, but it would create more effort for the car manufacturers. And you know, car manufacturers, variances and so on, it's not um, the best fit. Um, so they they are annoyed already because Roger, you're driving on the wrong side of the yeah. street, and they need to put your steering wheel on the other side. So that's already the first variance. So they try to avoid variances, but they're working on it. And from a cost perspective, AC would be um, much more appreciating. Let's hope that this comes soon because the more customers do V2G, the better it is for a renewable energy. Sure. Okay. Thank you for that. I'm going to going to try and see if we can uh, get um, David, David Bushnell up on stage. I'm going to put his question up on there for the moment, and then I'm going to invite him to the stage. But I just want to share this with everybody because I, I got some notes uh, from you, but obviously before we, we've met up, etc. So you mentioned Irish Post earlier. There are 100 depots, 2,800 AC, uh, 2,800 AC, 180 DC, approximately 50 megawatt saving grid connection power, 500,000 euros on operating costs. That sounds pretty epic to me. So, um, I mean, you, you, you're clearly doing a great job. And I wanted just to do that so we could then get D Dave uh, up on the screen with us. So, Dave, welcome. How are you? Good afternoon. Very well, Roger. Thank you for taking my question. No, uh, really please. Good, fire interesting, 
Interesting chat. Um, certainly, uh, we're seeing a lot of investment in pure cable technology, you know, certainly in the UK, etc. investment in that. But I'm starting to see opportunities here for rather ground pad charging that you can drive over, um, which may give a better solution to take opportunity charging rather than where the vehicle sleeps overnight and relying on that. Is that something that you, you're seeing could be invested in as an alternative, especially for commercial fleets, which may be double duting, so don't actually have an eight or 10 hour window to charge overnight? Great question. What do you think, Marcus? Um, why Thanks, charging? David. Um, th these are two topics, um, or actually three. So first for grid services, it doesn't matter if it's conduit or wireless. So um, that's just uh, as to, to frame it. Wireless, um, we all might remember Qualcomm, they, they worked heavily on that uh, wireless charging. It, mm -hmm. it is possible, um, yet it is not cheap and it adds another variance um, and also a cost factor to the vehicle. So currently for the current prices, it's um, maximum something for, for premium cars. And it's not so easy to be standardized because each vehicle has a different kind of setup at the at, um, kind of, um, at, at the floor of the vehicle. So it's very hard to standardize. So currently, car manufacturers do not focus on it, but it's working. It can work. And if it decreases mm. in price, and as we see that this is possible, we have seen it with batteries. We have seen it with a lot of things, with chargers. DC chargers. I think it's just a matter of time and engineering until we will see it. And as as always, it will start in niches in in, in use cases where you um, gain most out of it, and then it will spread out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Thank you. David, for that. Yeah. I'd also uh, recommend watching the most recent fully charged episode where um, Jack Scarlett and his associate in Norway looked at battery swap and and wireless charge. So yeah. um, that's quite, you know, entertaining. I know a little bit about that, but but we're here to talk to Marcus, so I'm going to going to zip my lips on, on that. Um, but Dave, thank you so much for your question. You. That that was really good. Appreciate you you, you joining us today. Thanks a thank lot. You. Thank you. Um, M Marcus, let, let me come back to just a couple more questions. Might try and slip one more or two, one more one or two more in from the audience. Um, can you kind of I don't know sh shine a light on some of the most common um, charging management challenges that, that the fleets in your experience over these years uh, uh, have had when first, you know, electrifying their fleet? And, and what were the solutions? Can, can you kind of just give us a quick sheep dip, as it were, of, of you know, the classic problems, classic solutions? The, the, the key issue, and this is also what, what the audience mentioned at the beginning, how much can my grid cope and do any any grid extension? And it's not so easy to get clear answers from players in the market yet who are specialized on that. Um, so what, what do we do, at least I know from us, um, if a customer approaches us, we do a simulation. And especially for these large logistic tenders or bus tenders, like we, we charge a hundred buses in a, a chip or airport and could reduce the grid connection from five to one megawatt. So this is enormous amount of money. So you need to do a simulation up front. So you need to contact somebody who, who knows about that topic. And it's a different topic than 
a charger or then installation work. And these, these, these different parameters are not so clear yet in the market because the charger manufacturers for sure wants to sell the charger and say, I can do everything. The installer says, yeah, yeah, it will work. And at the end, you, you are there and realize you, you put too much copper in the ground and you pay too much demand charges to the grid operator. So you need to look around for somebody who is optimizing your charging. Mm. And that optimization can, um, kind of, happen in all different kinds of things. You can have a static limit, you can have a dynamic limit if you have a production side or a, a building. Um, you can have a fleet schedule like we have at, at Chipotle Airport. So we know exactly which bus um, needs how much energy before the, the bus leaves and charge accordingly. Um, you can prioritize cars um, and you can rotate them. So these are all different kinds of, of algorithms. And we were just talking about um, saving money towards the grid. The next thing is, for example, what we do with Unpost also, we try to shift as much vehicles to charge them after 11 o'clock at night, because mm. then the electricity rate is just half the price. They have the MID there. Um, you in the UK, you have the economic seven, um, you have also dynamic pricing in the Netherlands. In Germany, you have unfortunately nothing like this or hardly. Um, so you also want to consider not only grid prices, but also energy prices. And that is a quite complex combination. Um, you should consider and best if, if you contact somebody whose experience is it and then um, ask for a simulation. Hmm. Now, listen, wouldn't we all like to live in the re in a wonderful world where everybody got on, where we you know, properly tackled climate change? We, we felt like we were all, you know, rowing the same boat in the right direction, but we don't, sadly. You know, uh, that's no more evident than what's happening tragically in Ukraine at this time. Equally, uh, post-COVID, we've seen the, the challenge of supply chains, global su supply chain challenge, not just in terms of cost or availability, but also the impact of, uh, of uh, the carbon footprint of moving things all over the planet. Now, you've had 12 years now of experience of delivering solutions to people. And I'm sure on your website, you've got case studies and all sorts of things. So I'd definitely say to people, go, go and have a look there. Um, but how are you coping and how are you helping your customers cope with this real volatility, you know, these current conflicts and, and this uncertainty? How, how do you help steady the ship? So for us, key actually is hard and software independency. We all do not know um, what kind of great developments will appear over the course of time. So where we always ask our customers, take care um, that you work with open standard, open interfaces, so that you can scale your investment, um, uh, that you can change your suppliers, um, that you also can change your backend um, and management systems, because we are at the, at the very beginning of a journey which will continuously optimize um, we have a lot of new great engineers will invent something new, software developers um, develop something even better. So uh, what we always recommend and look for our customers that they can scale and are not uh, locked into a closed system. Hmm. Hmm. 
Right. And, and a, couple, a few more questions for, for myself. Now I'm going to go to one from the audience. So Marco uh, Napoli, Napoleoni, excuse me for not saying that correctly. Marco Napoleoni. Oh, honestly, this is what happens. I get completely tongue tied sometimes. You'd think I would be fluent at this stuff, but Marco's going to hopefully ask a question live on stage. But before he does, uh, what's your sense of, um, if, if you like, recycling of batteries? There's almost like an urgency in some people's minds to recycle a battery, but surely, given how complex they are and how challenging they've been in the first place to manufacture, don't we want to keep them as batteries for as long as possible um, and, and you know, maybe have them for 10 or 20 years in that kind of storage arena rather than just mash them up as soon as they finished in, in, in a vehicle? What, what's your view on that? I think this will be... Um, <laughs> There are three parameters. First, how much V2G do you do that you still can use the battery when your car is worn out? So ideally, the car breaks down and your battery is worn out to the least SLC. So, um, and with V2G, you could more or less control that. So ideally, those two stop at the same time. Second is if the component prices um, are high, then it might make more sense to um, recycle than to put them into a second life application. Yeah, fair point. So fair point. That, that we will see. Um, so and if this is not the case, third would be second life application. Hmm. Hmm. So um, Marco's question, Marco, do you recommend installing DC or AC stations for fleets? There are AC stations on the public. Do you think there will be an increase in DC stations in the next few years? I mean, th this, this in many ways, um, in many ways, is one of the dilemmas, isn't it? Trying to anticipate and understand what's going to happen with some of the future tech as it scales up and, and we get some, some, some different opportunities. So yeah, that's that that could be a bit tricky. So I've invited Marco. If he's with us, he'll be able to join us. I can't join us at this time. That's not a problem. Um, so I tell you who I'm going to ask to come on because Michael McInerney has asked some great questions. I'm going to invite Michael to the stage. Michael, hello. How are you? Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you perfectly well, Michael. Okay. So uh, Marco is there. The stage is yours, my friend. Interesting conversation uh, uh, this afternoon, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, I've just commented there that um, uh, I just heard quite recently that in Japan, and it's only limited, I believe, to Japan at the moment, but there are companies over there now specializing in actually reconditioning uh, vehicle batteries so that they can actually be uh, not, not dumped, but recycled back into the fleets, um, which is very, very interesting because it would bring the whole uh, attractiveness of uh, longevity and uh, electric cars a, a bit uh, a bit further along. So I was just wondering what Marcus thought about that. Um, so I, I'm not a battery chemistry expert. Um, I can't just um, out of our own experience when we got these old Daimler batteries, they actually uh, were worse than after um, kind of cycling them a couple of weeks. So yes, you if you treat your batteries well like we have them at 25 degrees and we do very shallow cycles, they get better again. If you can drive this to a large, so I'm, I'm talking about one to 2%, so it's very limited. Um, if you can do that to a larger extent, um, I'm not the pro on that. Um, 
I never heard it and I doubt it, but um, there, there are many bright guys out there might be possible. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing, Michael. It's sort of, you know, innovation is coming at us with all of this because it has to, you know, again, it's that necessity as, as mother of invention um, re reality, I suppose. But look, look, thank you for your input on this and a, a few other things and, and really appreciate you, you joining us. So you'll now be on the podcast, by the way. So everything's in, involved in this. So so appreciate you being part of that, Michael. Thank you. Thanks for joining us from Ireland today. Um, that's great. Th th thank you. So, yeah, Marco's question, he, and Bertrand Riviere has asked a sort of similar question, really. Should fleets invest in expensive DC chargers now to be future-proof? So would you like to answer that and kind of wrap up at the same time, Marcus, what we've been talking about to give people some sort of takeaways? If, if I could challenge you to do that, please. Sure. So if AC or DC is mainly driven by the use case, if you have the possibility, use AC most of the time, even 11 kilowatt is enough. This is the cheapest as you can build it up. Look for the open standard I mentioned before, OCPP 1.6, including all the functionalities, not just the core, because otherwise you can't have any remote updates, for example. So that's the, the, the majority, especially what we build up for fleets. Certainly, there are DC cases. Um, if you have some midday logistic deliveries uh, coming back to the depot just for an hour, you might need DC. Buses, you, you for sure have DC. But this is something, um, if you have a good partner on the installation side, um, or we also do that, um, they will look at your driving profile, they will discuss the use cases with you, they take care about scalability and uh, look for open hardware and, and backend interfaces that you can scale efficiently, that you do not have sunk costs in the future. And they will also look at um, your energy and grid profile so that you do not spend unnecessary money there and also make use of the according energy tariffs. So that's important from a hardware, software, and also charging and energy management side also as a wrap up. Hmm. That's that's fantastic. And, and I think well, my takeaway from this is that it's such an important arena that, um, as Michael, who we just had on, su suggests there are big disconnects between client understanding, you know, things they receive from the media and elsewhere. We all know what social media is this day, these days. It can be wonderful, but it can also be f full of very misleading and very unhelpful and in, indeed very expensive, you know, costly mistake stuff. Um, so my takeaway is definitely to consult with the experts, consult with people who have been doing this for some time, who understand and can illustrate and show to you. And I'm not doing this as an advertisement for, for Mobility House. I am talking about in general, in the whole kind of electric vehicle arena. Look for people who've got skin in the game and have got hands-on experience and case studies customers to illustrate and demonstrate what actually works because i suppose like all industries you know we, we can find ourselves in front of the wrong people giving some pretty seriously bad advice um, and at the scale of running big fleets that can be terribly costly um, so yeah my takeaway certainly having listened to you for this hour my you know marcus is to is to think go with the people with experience knowledge and experience um, because 
otherwise you could make some very expensive mistakes. Um, thank you so much for being so generous. And, and, and if you listen to some of our previous podcasts, um, I've given you a really challenge, big challenge today because we've taken quite a lot of questions from the audience. So you've had no prep on those whatsoever. <laughs> and I'm very pleased that you just battered them all, you know, in the right way. All great questions. So thanks to everybody for asking them. Um, again, I just remind everyone this, yes, is a live uh, broadcast, which, which I like, and I'm so relieved it's worked technically a bit better this time than the previous one. We record them all, so they'll then be out as a podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to this again, pick up maybe some of Marcus's questions, detailed uh, answers rather, um, you can pick up those and obviously our, our, our guests earlier on this year. Um, but for now, Marcus, I just want to wish you well. We are now in challenging times, but the challenge is also great opportunity. So uh, anything you'd like to say in conclusion, but uh, all I'd like to say from, you know, the EV Box team and, and the Revolution podcast that we run, thank you so much for your time. Uh, pl please have the last word. Always great to chat. Thanks again for joining us. Bear in mind, we'll have one of these every month, so it's only another four weeks before we'll have uh, a, another guest lined up to share their expertise, to answer your questions, and hopefully help you go away and build a better world and put your electric vehicles on the road. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again very soon. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.